and welcome to episode 58 of Owen the Saints, your podcast dedicated to everything Southampton Football Club. I'm your host, Patrick Serlis. We are discussing another Southampton defeat, unfortunately, today. A desperate 2-1 loss at home to struggling Brighton. To help pick through that mess, I'm joined by Jack Serlis. Jack, first of all, away from the football, have you made sure our Mother's Day card reached its destination? Confirmed. Got the message yesterday. It has arrived, so we're in the clear, mate. We're good. Good job. Pat on the back for you. Um, let's let's move on. Let's tackle Brighton, something our defence failed to do a little too often on Sunday. I tweeted after the game, we've had so many miserable performances in 2021 so far. That felt like one of the worst. For several reasons, obviously, talked up before the game as a huge match for both clubs, probably more so for Brighton, but definitely for us as well. And to see us put in such a terrible performance, both in defence and in attack, well, deflating wouldn't do it justice. It's no longer acceptable for us to find excuses. Earlier on this year, things were going against us. Penalties, VAR, red cards. A lot of time spent talking about those different things. That's just not the case anymore. We can't really blame injuries either. Yes, Danny Ings was missing. But every team is missing key players. Every team is struggling this season to keep players fit. No no excuses now, really. It's fully on the manager and fully on the players on the pitch. This result has left us right in the mark, seven points clear of 18th place Fulham. But obviously, we're only heading one way at the moment and they are looking more upwardly mobile. Um, by the time we play next, actually, a Premier League game, the gap could be down to four points if Fulham beat Leeds next weekend while we're in FA Cup duty against Bournemouth. Jack, before we get to discussing the table and the FA Cup quarterfinal, let's talk about the game itself against Brighton. Summarise, please, your thoughts on that performance. Like you said, that was one of the worst that we've had recently. We've had some very poor results, you know, lost against City, lost against Everton, lost against Leeds, lost against Wolves. But that one today, can't can't legislate for that. Ralph came out after the game and said Brighton wanted it more. And that is not what you want to hear from your manager coming out after the game. And I know that Brighton are in a position where they're fighting for every single point and they're closer to relegation than we are. But you're playing at home against a team that, you know, you should be getting points against. Like you said, there's zero excuses. I thought in terms of the overall performance, the first half, there were some positives. Some of the play was was decent without being, you know, too exciting. There were some good passages of play there, but don't think we got our creative players on the ball enough. Minamino was pretty non-existent and, you know, Stuart Armstrong wasn't at his best. Um, and then the second half was one of the worst halves of football that I've seen Southampton put in. You know, you're you're chasing a goal and you're not putting any concerted pressure on the opposition. I think that was one of the easiest second halves that Brighton will face. They just seem to do a job on us. Um, just It is shocking to see that because you want a little bit of fight from the players and someone to take the game by the scruff of the neck and take a risk. Everything was safe. Everything was sideways, backwards. And you want someone that's going to look for that pass or try and beat a defender that's going to open up a little bit of space and we didn't see it. So it was shocking, in my opinion. We've had we've had some bad ones, obviously. I think you've got to start with the 9-0 against United. But as you mentioned there, the second half performance against Leeds was desperate, pathetic. Yep. Um, the second half performance against Newcastle, against 10 men and 9 men, that was a real low for me as well. And then again today, like I'd put the Brighton game the Brighton second half up there with that lead second half up there with that Newcastle second half. Um, just in terms of looking so 
lethargic, so tired, so completely out of ideas. And I tweeted it again. It's like, you can't be out of ideas if you're not capable of creating any ideas. Like it didn't even look like we had any thought process at all to our attacking play. And that kind of goes back to the Newcastle game when, when by the end we were just launching the ball into the box against nine men. Um, It just looks completely disjointed in attack on the subject of lack of fight. Um, as you mentioned, Ralph said, the performance was not good enough. He called it by far one of the worst games we have played this season. And um, and that Brian showed fight that we didn't. And that's something that he also mentioned after the Leeds game, a little bit similar, that the players gave up in that second half at Leeds. And it's a similar sort of theme. And we talked about how concerning that was then. For it to happen several games on into the future and it to not be addressed is even more concerning. I mean, the lack of fight was obvious. I hate to boil things down to something so simple. But it's true that on the pitch, we had 11 players that looked like none of them were taking any responsibility at all. No communication, no talking, no fight, no desire. Watching the game, and it's obviously a lot more, it's a lot more um, noticeable now because there's no fans in the stadium, but you can hear things a lot clearer and you could hear the Brighton players. You could hear Lewis Dunk at the back organising that Brighton back line. You could hear their midfielders talking to each other. And you couldn't hear a peep from us. Now, and it's just like, again, I don't want to boil it down to something so simple, but it really does feel that we just lack any kind of leadership on the pitch at all. It does. Completely agree with you. And it's just, there's no one organising the team. There's no one pulling players into position. and There's no one driving attacks against the opposition. And it just seems like, you know, everyone's talking about the plan B that Southampton have and the, the lack of a plan B. Um you know, in the, in that second half, when we do, you know, bring on some different players and change the formation slightly, and maybe go three at the back, that to me is just the game over. <laughs> it completely is the game over. It, it, it's like we're not gonna we're not gonna create chances. The players don't look like they're suited to that system. And like we've said on the podcast before, when it works, the four two two two, it works brilliantly. But when it doesn't, and teams you know set up against us and make it difficult for us, you might as well blow the final whistle in 60 minutes because it is a waste of time that that last half an hour we don't do anything um yeah it's it's the same um the same point i just mentioned on those games leeds newcastle you can add villa to the mix you can add everton to the mix when we when we're behind we really don't look like in the second half making anything happen and we've thrown the most points away from winning position 18 points brighton are second on that table with 17 points and really, they didn't look in any danger, as you said. Um, there was that huge opportunity with Che Adams shortly after Trossard's goal. And then a little bit at the end when we finally looked like we pulled our finger out. Um, but it's too little too late at that point. Ralph also mentioned um, his favourite word, automisms, like a lack of, in, in defence, a lack of automatic decision-making, a lack of players making the right decision. And that he pointed out comes down to a lack of training time. Now that's an excuse. It's an excuse that every manager in the Premier League has that we're in a COVID season where training time has been massively reduced. How much weight do you put on that? Because defensively, we really did look all over the shop. To be honest with you, I think that's a poor excuse. Like you said, every single team has the same amount of same play the same amount of games and have the same amount of training in the week and you have to set your team up um 
in a way that they feel comfortable and it looks like the defenders don't feel comfortable at the moment I think why don't we why don't we run through the goals and we can we can pick out like the mistakes that that we're making so the first goal for me I don't know how you know how we set up in training but it looks like we've got an element of zonal mark in there with Ryan Bertrand looking to to pick up Lewis Dunk um for me you want your strongest headers against their strongest headers of the ball and you know you've got Lewis Dunk on Ryan Bertrand I think Ryan Bertrand's caught just watching the the defender and he's not looking at the ball and that was the first mistake for me um and I'd also say Fraser Forster we've been we've been full of praise for them recently five clean sheets and six but if you watch that goal again Lewis Dunk is past the penalty spot it's, it's about, about 14 14 15 yards out it's about 14, 15 yards out. And again, I'm not a keeper, but my my take on this would be, as soon as he heads the ball, Fraser Forster's first step is almost like a side step. Mm-hmm. And I think, that, you know, he would save that if his first spring is out to save it to his left-hand side. But if you watch it again, as soon as Lewis Dunk heads it, it's a side step to the left and then a dive. And that's mm-hmm. the key half a second where he misses it. Shouldn't be scoring a header from 14 yards out from an outswinging corner. It's just not good enough. You nailed it. I mean, he's moving as the ball is like halfway towards him. He's taking that little shuffle to the left and he should be in his dive at that point um, to make the save. He's just too slow to react. He's, he's a massive keeper and we've seen it before. That was one of his, one of the criticisms of him before when he was at Saints was that he's a little bit flat-footed and a little bit slow to get down to those low ones. You're right. You shouldn't be scoring a header from 14 yards out. On Bertrand, it is zonal marking. Um, they showed a replay again. I think there's two Saints players on three Brighton players um, around the penalty spot. And then most of our players are set up around the six-yard box. So it's not a man-for-man job. It's not like Bertrand was tasked, I don't think, with, with man-marking Lewis Dunk. They're marking space. Um, he could do more, 100%. He doesn't even challenge Lewis Dunk. He needs to get up and challenge. I think you're right again. He's ball watching a little bit. Um, for me, they're the two mistakes. Bertrand, but then probably a little bit more so on Forster. I think he should be doing definitely better there before, um, for sure. Um, che then getting us back in the game. Three and three for him after no goals in 16. With, he's a streaky striker <laughs> and he's on, a, <laughs> he's on a bit of a streak at the moment. Three and three now um, for him. Uh, decent finish. Typical Che finish, wasn't it? Just hit it hard. That is literally it. Just laces. Every single one of Shea Adams' finishes is just put your foot through it and lace it and don't think about it too much. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about the chance that he had to equalise in the second half, but this one was... It was, a, it was good that with the way we recycled the ball and kept Barton under pressure, Ryan Bertrand got up well for that header. And yeah, three goals in three... Um, is decent after no goals in 16. It's pretty, it's classic Shea that, isn't it? It is. Um, just while we're talking about strikers then, do you think that, we, well, obviously it goes without saying that you miss a, a player of the quality of Danny Ings, but do you think he would have made much of a difference, enough of a difference to us to get, to, for us to get something from the game if he was playing? I mean, you've got a player like Danny Ings on the pitch. He could make a goal, you know, make a chance, score a goal out of absolutely nothing. But I think the problems were a bit deeper than just missing Danny Ings today. And I think even with him on the pitch, I think Brighton did a job on us tactically and, you know, player player for player, they were too strong for us. So I, to be honest, I think if Danny Ings was on the pitch, barring a worldie that he potentially could have scored, I don't think he would have made a, too much of a difference. I'd agree with you there. Um, so one all at half time into the second half and Brian's point of view, a very nicely worked goal from our point of view 
you look and you ask where on earth are the midfielders? Where on earth is Jan Bednar at? Um, they just pulled us completely out of position. Lalana, Pascal Gross, Trossard, they were all picking up space in that first half in the number 10 position and causing us problems. And Lalana's got that ability to pick the pass. He picked the right pass. Nice layoff from Danny Welbeck. And just like that, in, in two passes, our whole defence just completely collapsed in on itself. Jan Bednarak was scrambling back from being out of position. And Trossard just picks out decent finish and, and they're 2-1 up. But, I mean, midfielders, defenders, what, what happened there? Well, the first thing for me is you look at the two centre midfielders and James Ward-Prowse is so high up the pitch marking his midfielder and Ibrahim Diallo is so deep right in front of the back four. So there's a, you know, they're, they're not aligned there and it doesn't look like there's that much communication going on between the two of the midfielders. Shea Adams looks to be slightly on Adam Lalana, but then kind of gets drawn to the centre-backs and pushing up and leaves him. So then it's not Shea Adams' player to pick up and it's not Diallo's player to pick up. So that's why he's in acres of space in the midfield. But then when the ball goes past into Danny Welwick's feet, I've actually paused it a few times watching the replay um, of the goal. It is, it's mind-blowing the position that we're in when you pause it as, as Lalana takes that pass because Vestergaard's in a decent position because he's goal side of Welbeck. Bednarak is on the wrong side of Trossard and so is Walker Peters he's on the wrong side of the winger so there's two players that are literally threw in, in on goal and I don't know you know maybe that goes to what Ralph is saying about having a lack of training and the automisms and things like that because that was awful defending and it's just basic basic errors not to be goal side and it was just one pass into the striker and he laid it off and that's what you wanted to see from Shea mm-hmm. Adams a little bit where you take your time and you lift it away from the keeper and Let's, we'll talk about his chance in a second, but that was the opposite of what he did, wasn't it? And just put his foot through. I think you're um, right there. I think that is what Ralph is talking about when he's talking about the lack of automisms because our we've, we've discussed it on the pod before, our defensive system relies on the whole team basically being in alignment and you're not marking players man for man. You're marking the ball, basically. You're playing against the ball and it felt like half of our team was playing against the ball and half of our team was playing the man. And that's what happens. Like that's what yeah. happens when you get so bent out of shape and half the team's doing one thing and half the team's doing another. You get in a position where Jan Bednarak and Carl Walker Peters are on the wrong side. Yeah, Investigar's in a decent position, but two passes, bang, bang, and it's a goal. Um, that is the downside of our defensive system. We've discussed it so much. When it's good, it's clean sheets. When it's bad, it's conceding lots of goals. Um and we've conceded yep. three, four, five, nine this season. Now, Brighton are a pretty terrible finishing team, but they scored two against us. It was the first time they've scored more than one goal against a team. I think for two months, for 11 games, they'd never scored more than one goal. So the fact that they scored two against us is almost like conceding three, four, five, six against any other team <laughs> because they just don't take their chances. Yep. It feels like Sheffield United was the absolutely perfect team for us to play last week and Southampton was the absolutely perfect team for Brighton to face this week, really. Definitely. So let's talk about it then. Um, 2-1 down. We've been in this position before countless times, down against Newcastle, down against Wolves, down against Everton. Uh, and the result is pretty much the same every time. No creativity. No creativity. That one big chance for Shea where you just want him to lift his head up and put it past the keeper, but he doesn't do that. Really, really frustrating because that was the key one. But apart from that, like you said at the start of the podcast, 
bar the last five minutes where we maybe showed a slight bit of urgency, there was this spell between maybe 65 and 85 where you might as well have not mm. watched the game. Absolutely nothing happened and Brighton were in complete control. Um, I'd potentially, I don't know what your thoughts are, but I'd potentially question the substitutions made by Ralph. Nathan Redmond becomes a massive scapegoat for Southampton fans, but the man doesn't help himself at all. He comes on, he does absolutely nothing. Personally, I would have liked to have seen Dan and Lindelou come on um, and occupy the Brighton defenders a little bit more. I think when you bring on Gineppo and Redmond, you're almost bringing on two players that are quite similar and are going to be dropping in deep to try and pick up the ball. I think we needed to stretch Brighton at that point and try and spin them in behind. And someone like Lindelou would do that. It's a bit disappointing that he only got five, five or so minutes at the end. Um, but yeah, it's just really, really disappointing to see a home game against a team that are below you and then to be so, so comfortable. Yeah, so it's it's five goals now in our last eight home games. Um, and it's not just the, the absence of Danny Ings because we had him in the team for, for many of those games. We're just not scoring goals. We're not creating those opportunities. You said Redmond's a scapegoat. He, he absolutely is. But, I mean, how can you have 30 minutes on a pitch and offer so little? The same really for Gineppo. Yeah. He did pick up the ball a few times in the left channel and... It didn't come off for him, but I, I like to. I like the fact that he was on the ball a little bit more. It wasn't Stuart Armstrong's day. I think maybe we we were seeing him a little bit leggy, um, as Ralph has discussed in the past. He finds it difficult to play matches in quick succession. Um, we do have a little bit of a break coming up. We do play once a week, and we obviously obviously have the international break as well, which will be beneficial for for someone like him, for sure. But four points now for my last thirty six available we've conceded 32 goals this year more than any other Premier League team when you can't defend and you can't score you're a relegation candidate team and it's only because we started the season so well that we have a little bit of a cushion it is seven points at the moment as mentioned at the top it could be four by the time we we play next how concerned are you on a scale of one to ten about relegation I think today was today was a massive eye opener for me. I was I was you know a little bit positive coming off the game against against Man City in the week, but it was always with the condition that we'd get a result against Brighton. But when you lose two one against a team below you, that's really increased my worries about going down. Um, you know, Bournemouth coming up next week is a is a distraction for the players, and I think it's a welcome distraction. And hopefully, we can get a positive result there. But then when you look at the fixtures after that. And we we play Burnley at home and then West Brom away. Burnley just got a brilliant result at Goodison Park in one two one, and they're showing the fight that Southampton aren't showing, and they're they're showing the organisation that we definitely are lacking at the moment. So I don't mean to be too doom and gloom, but I can see them coming to St Mary's and really really frustrating us. And you know if they nick an early goal, it's going to be very very difficult for us to break them down. Um, so definitely after today, more and more concerned about relegation. Because you speak to other people, and I'm sure you spoke to your mates about it too, and they're like, Sampton, they've got enough points on the board, mm-hmm. not really in trouble. But you go through those stats, and it is awful. Four points from a possible 36, and the amount of goals we're shipping. You can't not be in relegation contention, because we're only going one way. And unless Danny Ings comes back after the international break and starts firing, like the Danny Ings that we saw last season... We're not going to be blowing teams away because we don't have the the ability at the moment. Yeah, for sure. I mean, 
What about you? Are I'm you worried? worried. I am worried. I mean, we rest six against Man City and we kind of accepted that result and accepted almost conceding five goals because it was conditioned with the fact that, okay, all our eggs yeah. are in the basket of Brighton at home, um, which which just makes it so much worse um, to see us put in that performance. Um, just want to draw a comparison to last season um, before the game. I think it was after 28 games last season, we had one point more than we currently do. And that 29th game, we lost to Newcastle 1-0. San Maximan with a goal, Gineppo red card game just before lockdown. Now we came out of lockdown and we're in fantastic form. We had that opportunity to get training in, to get the players back on the training pitch. We came back, we beat Norwich and we went on a run and we ended the season really, really strongly in our last nine games. We have nine games now. We have some winnable fixtures coming up. We discussed before the Brighton game that from Brighton, Burnley, West Brom, Palace, we want nine points. We've got off to the worst possible start. We need to win the next three <laughs> to get that. Yeah. It's it's It should be achievable, but looking, sitting here an hour after watching that, I just can't see us turning it around quick enough. The FA Cup game is a little bit of a distraction. I'm worried about that game now because Bournemouth could turn us over quite easily if we play similar to how we played on Sunday. But it's it's really it's we were just yeah, we were discussing before we we press record, but it's like at different points in in 2021, like I've I've been like pissed off after games because you would after losing, but today it just feels like just like apathy, like just it's hard yeah. to, to care when the players don't care or they don't seem to. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And an interesting comparison there just about last season because you'd hope that we can we can use this little break um, and come back a different team in those remaining nine games. And obviously we've got the cup game, we've got the international break and then we come, we come back against Burnley. But I agree with you. It is... I was watching that second half today, just not not really too arsed because you're not seeing any fight from the players in the pitch and I'm not going to let it ruin my Sunday, um, you know, when the players don't seem to care. But it's just, it is difficult to take. It's difficult to watch. Um, I think we need to have a discussion about Ralph Hasnoodle, Pat, because the Saints SC timeline, I'm sure everyone listening is aware, is seems to be a divided place at the moment. Where do you stand, Yeah, that Ralph? was going to be my last, my last question to you, actually. Ralph in, Ralph out. As you say, the call's only get louder the longer this terrible run goes on and it is 10 defeats now from 12 games previously it took us 38 games to lose 10 so it just shows you how if you needed any more ammunition about how bad it's been (laughs) 10 losses in 12 games is dreadful form it's it's Sheffield it's bottom of the table form it really is so the question needs to be asked. I think we've been pretty hard on the players and accusing them of showing no desire and no fight. And I think that's fair based on what's happened this year so far. But I think it's also fair that Ralph takes his fair share of the blame. You you, you kind of made my point earlier on and, and I agree with you that it, we are so 100% committed to one style of play and one system and one formation that anything else is just what's the point of even trying it? Because we've obviously spent yeah. zero time working on it. 
um, or at least the players look like they've spent zero time working on it. And Ralph just looks lost. His substitutions are kind of, they don't seem to be proactive. They're always reactive. And that's partly because we're losing, but it's just, he's trying to look for something to change what he's seeing on the pitch and nothing really works. And we can draw a comparison to Brighton. They had Dan Byrne go off injured at halftime and they changed their shape. They went to three at the back. I saw some people mention that as like a, as key for them winning the game. I think they created the better opportunities in the first half anyway. I think they were the better team in the first yeah. half, marginally. I think it was pretty close, but they would have been disappointed to go in level. Um, they had that op- massive opportunity for Pascal Gross. That was a big save from Fraser Forster, but they were the better team in the first half and they were better team in the second half. I think the change of shape might have helped them a little bit see the game out. Um, but we don't really see Ralph making those kind of tactical tweaks that help us, do we? Um, I no. can't think of a, nothing springing to mind the last time I remember thinking, oh, wow, that was that was a brilliant move from Ralph mid-game. Like all of the work comes from his system and his formation and drilling, drilling into the players what he wants to see. Now, I'm still... I still back him as a manager. I think he's the best manager for us at the moment. Um, I think this run of games is crucial. I think we'd flagged it before the game. Brighton, Bournemouth, Burnley, West Brom, Palace is crucial. He he might... It's hard because I don't think we're going to sack him. I don't think the club will sack him unless it gets to the Palace game and we've picked up a point or something from these games. Mm. Like I really can't see them pulling the trigger and getting rid of him. I could see a kind of similar situation to Chris Wilder, I guess at Sheffield United where they didn't really sack Chris Wilder, did they? He just kind of left. It was like mutually agreed that he would just leave. Um, Mm. I could potentially see him like a combination of Ralph walking away and the club being happy for that to happen because it gives them a change. I just can't see them sacking him. Do, that, do I think they should? No, not at the moment. I'm, ha- I'm happy to give them the Bournemouth game. I'm happy to see what we can do over the next three games, but it's only so long that it can go on, right? Yeah, it is only so long that it can go on. I'm, I don't think we should sack him. I think he definitely should should stay for the immediate future. I think it's just interesting, previous managers we've had, that, that performance today was similar to, you know, the Pellegrino yeah. kind of era, wasn't it? And the Mark Hughes era where it was just boring and just lack of energy and it was the game was finished before it started so I think the reason why Ralph has got more you know a longer leash with Southampton fans you you noted it in the uh in the newsletter but a longer leash is because the highs have been so much higher than previous managers and we have seen how good we can be but then there's only so low that you can go before you go I don't care that we were top of the league in November because we're absolutely shite now so, you know, under those managers, Pellegrino, Puel, Hughes, well, I mean, maybe it's harsh to put Puel in there because we did get a cup final and become eighth. So it looks probably like our best manager <laughs> at the moment. But um, it was the start of football managers, for him, wasn't it? But it was just like, it was, yeah. Yeah, it was the start of football for him. But I just think because we didn't see the highs under Mark Hughes and, and Pellegrino, they were easily sacked because we were on a bad run of form because we've played so well under Ralph people want to stick with him because they can see the potential there but I think ultimately you look at this team that we set up today I know there's some good players all over the pitch and I do put a lot of it down to Ralph a front 
with Nathan Teller and, and Shea Adams, I think you're more hopeful going into that game rather than expectant of actually beating Brighton. Yeah. I know that might sound a little bit defeatist, but Shea Adams isn't a prolific goal scorer. He's on a good, decent run of form and Nathan Teller hasn't scored a Premier League goal yet and he's having his first few games for the club. So whilst we might go into these games and go, you know, we can be Brighton today, we can be Brighton today, I think Sanson fans are guilty of a little bit being a bit more hopeful. And if we actually look at that squad and go, is that good enough to beat another Premier League team? A lot of the time it isn't, I don't yeah. think. I think, that's, I think that's a fair point. And the COVID season has massively impacted us. We do have a tiny squad. Now, partly that's self-inflicted because we let players leave when we shouldn't have done. Um, but also we've been hit by injuries to, to key areas and and that's cost us dearly. I think ultimately we give him time because we've seen how good we can be. And I'm fully still on board with that. Um, time will tell. Bournemouth next. Final final point, looking ahead to that game. How do you think we're going to get on? Huge game. It's absolutely massive game. Um, I'm... Again, might be blind confidence, but I do. I do, I'm very hopeful that we'll go there and we'll have we'll, we'll be better than Bournemouth on the day. They're not in the best run of form themselves. I think they lost to Barnsley at home yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the FA Cup is a, is a huge one for Southampton this season because the league hasn't been great of late, and especially with the plans at the moment, with you know, they're, they're looking to get up to twenty thousand fans at Wembley for for the semi final and final. I think it might be. I think it would be brilliant lift for the whole club if we can go to Wembley, bring some fans in and end the season on a real high. Because if we lose next week at, at Bournemouth, then I think I might hang up the microphone, Pat, and this <laughs> might, be the last, might be the last podcast. <laughs> well, that is big breaking news. So a lot riding. I hope Ralph lets the players know just what is riding on next week's game. For me, it's just nice that we're not in Premier League action. Because yeah. like, I'm just sick of looking at the table and looking at all the red, all the red next to our name, um, all the L's. All the L's, exactly. So yeah, looking forward to um, an FA Cup game for sure. As you said, Bournemouth aren't in great form. They're just outside the playoff places now in the Championship. Obviously, got rid of Eddie Howe. So, um, but they will be for sure looking at us. So there's not a better Premier, there's not a better team to play from the Premier League than us at the moment from their point of view. So. Huge, huge game. Jack, thank you very much for joining me. As you mentioned, thanks for, thanks for mentioning the newsletter. I will just give that a little shout out. Big shout out. Big shout out. On our Instagram, on our Twitter, in our bios, there's a link there. You just click that link, drop your email in, um, and you'll get our newsletter in your inbox once a week, middle of the week, likely Wednesday, um, with just, yeah, grade A Saints content. So check that out in our Twitter and Instagram bios. Uh, and sign up much appreciated thank you everybody for listening Jack thank you for joining me nice one Pat I'll say it again up the Saints (laughs) 